Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and episode four of Talkin' Turf Weeds, brought to you by our friends at Corteva AgriScience. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and I'll be joined today for a conversation about crabgrass, bane of turf pros and homeowners alike, by Raymond Miller. Raymond is a territory manager for Corteva with a long history in agronomy. He started hoeing weeds on his family's farm when he was still in elementary school. Our episode opens with a look back more than 50 years to that farm and that work in Westlaco, Texas. Before our conversation, though, a quick word from Corteva AgriScience. From the fairway to the green, your turf matters, and Corteva AgriScience is here to help you defend it. The turf and ornamental portfolio from Corteva AgriScience helps you tackle tough weeds and other course challenges quickly so you can focus on what matters most. With a full spectrum of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides developed to keep your course in check, you'll spend less time battling troublesome turf challenges and more time building a picture-perfect experience for your members. Corteva AgriScience. Growing agriculture. After the break, Raymond Miller. Raymond, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So we have most of this episode dedicated to crabgrass, that great weed that pops up in everybody's turf, including mine in my front and backyards. But before we get to that, you recently celebrated a really, really big anniversary. And it's because you started very young. You celebrated your 50th anniversary in agronomy and working with the earth. And that's in thanks to working on your family's farm all throughout your childhood in Westlaco, Texas. Before we get going to crabgrass, I have to hear some stories about growing up and, and working on the farm in Westlaco in the 70s and the 80s. What was that like? The 70s were tremendously different than today. And Westlaco was a much more rural town at that time. Our farm was out in the country. I mean, it wasn't. And if you went out there today to where the farm is, it's in the middle of a subdivision on three sides. Uh, so it's, it's incredibly different. We were able to go hunting and fishing and enjoy the outdoors. And it was just a terrific time to be a young teenager and growing up there. Your parents put you to work. You were probably, what, about 10 years old when you started? Is that right? Well, in a lot of ways, I started even younger than that. Um, when I was little, I just really liked going with my dad. On Saturday mornings, if I got up in the morning and he had left me at home, I was upset. You know, we didn't live right on the farm, so I couldn't really get to him if he didn't take me with him first thing. And so I would be upset to have to watch cartoons or something with my brother. That was that was a terrible thing to have to happen, uh, which sounds crazy, but I just love the uh, being outside and, and helping on the farm. And pretty much as soon as I could hold a hoe or pick up any of the irrigation equipment, he was having me do 
those things. By eight, I was hoeing in fields by myself. One particular time, my uh, granddad drove by where I was hoeing in a field, and he decided it was too hot for me out there. So he stopped and got me and took me to the convenience store nearby, and we got an ice cream. And uh, my dad was furious when he, because he'd come by and I wasn't there, and he was upset with my granddad for picking me up. And and uh, it was it was funny to hear them talking to each other about it because granddad's like it was too hot for him out there, and my dad's like you never said it was too hot for me when I was out there. <laughs> yeah, so, so hoeing weeds was one of my early childhood memories, and uh, probably part of the reason I, reason I like to kill weeds now. <laughs> this is your origin story. I love it. It makes it's a total through line. <laughs> And that, on top of the fact that I have pretty solid allergies to a lot of pollen, makes me uh, not a weed fan. What else did you do? Really, I think you worked on the farm for about 12 years, even while you were at uh, Texas A&M. Uh, sure. What, well, what else did you do? When, when I got to, by the time I got to 10 years old, I was uh, driving tractors by myself. And at 12, I was uh, driving harvest equipment by myself and when I was 17 and 18, I was managing the harvesting. You know, I was the person in charge and my dad was, he would be working on other projects and just come by and check on it. So I was taking care of getting trucks for the uh, harvested material and then getting it put in the trucks, getting the trucks sent to the elevator or to the cotton gin. And so that was a, a critical deal uh, for us. And um, part of my growing up, in fact, it at one point uh, had one of my high school friends working for us. And apparently at that time, I was not as nice a boss as I think I would be now. (laughs) (laughs) And I made my high school friend really mad at me such that he even quit. Uh, So, but he came back and, and we, we stayed friends through, through even that, but it was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Amazing. And out of that, you go to Texas A&M, you, get your undergrad, you get a master's degree. And was there any ever talk about taking over the family farm or, or was it a matter of you need to go do your own thing here? You know, when I was getting ready to go to college, we had had a hurricane come in to the um, South Texas and it had really devastated the crop. And I just really, I didn't even want to go to college. You know, it's time to leave and and I'm like, Dad, you need help. I need to stay here and help you with this cleanup and getting things done. And he's like, no, no, you go, go to college. It, it's, it's our time. And, uh, and he said, if you don't like it, you can come back and you can farm. You know, no problem. You know, it's not a problem. And I said, okay. And uh, I got to A&M and, you know, from small town, South Texas to Texas A&M was just such a huge transition and difference, but it was so much fun. I, I was like, I have to figure out how to make good enough grades to stay because dad's not going to put up with me barely getting by. <laughs> so uh, I figured it out and managed to get through. When it got to the end of my college career, it, you know, we were, we were talking about coming home. That had been always the plan. But I got a pretty decent offer to work for a, another farm out in West Texas at the time. And I went ahead and did that. And after a year of doing that, I came back and, and signed up for graduate school. 
and got married and had a child and all that. <laughs> really condensing the major life events here. Yeah. Well, we did it all. All that happened pretty fast. I, <laughs> you know, getting married, having a child, starting graduate school. It was uh, September 6th was my fourth day, fifth day of graduate school. You know, my uh, about my ninth month of being married and my first day of being a dad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of change in a short period of time. Yeah. Wow. We could so, talk about the farm and your early career. I feel like probably for the entire podcast, but we do have some weeds to talk about. And I'm, I'm curious, I can't imagine you saw a lot of crabgrass early on in your career on the family farm, but I'm sure you saw some, how much, how much crabgrass did you see growing up and, and when did it really become a part of your professional life in terms of studying, yeah. controlling, and, and like you said, your weed allergies, you, you don't like them. Yeah. Well, grasses were always a, a big problem on the farm. Not not as much maybe crabgrass. We had a, a grass we called Colorado grass, but it turns out it's actually Texas panicum instead. And then barnyard grass were bigger weeds. Uh, but um, all those grasses in a cotton field can be a real problem, especially if they get to harvest time because they end up intermingled in the cotton and it gets what you call a, a grassy bale, which is a grading problem. And they uh, they actually dock your fees. So we tried not to have grass in our in our cotton because we didn't want to end up with it in the in the cotton bales because it would cost us money. And so um, hence we hoed if we had any escapes from our herbicide, we hoed and we adopted things really fast on the farm. Dad was uh, not an educated person, but he was an innovative person. Uh, he uh, he really if if there was a new herbicide, he was interested in trying it. And so we tried a lot of things and he liked to have a clean field. So crabgrass was part of our whole mix. In terms of, you know, it, it is on the farm. It's in my yard, front and back. And I have a very small yard. It's in neighbor's yards. It's, it always pops up somewhere on golf courses. What should superintendents and other turf pros know about crabgrass that maybe they didn't learn? in turf school or, or early in their career, or maybe they've forgotten it over the years? I think probably most of them have known the, the key points, but it's just important to remember, uh, crabgrass generally is an annual weed. If you get into southern areas of Texas or South Florida, uh, it can be a perennial weed somewhat. It, it, acts, it gets perennialized. It, it comes up all year and so forth. My career has spanned uh, in the turf business has spanned a pretty long time. In 1995, I started with Roman Haas selling Dimension in Texas. Then in 2001, I moved to Florida with Dow when they bought Roman Haas. And then in uh, 2008, moved back to Texas for Dow. And now Corteva, of course, is our, is our company. Through that time, I've seen a lot of uh, crabgrass and one of the things in the southern parts of my territory in both Florida and Texas, people would ask, well, what's the best time to put out your pre -emert? Well, I would say right after the first frost. And they'd go, oh, wait a minute, don't you mean the last frost? And I said, no, don't worry about that. It'll probably be the last frost anyway, because it's so far south. So a lot of times when you're in those southern areas, crabgrass can be a little more difficult to control. 
it also means that in just as few as three days of warm temperatures again after that frost, you can start having new emergence of crabgrass. So having a product with some reach back can be very helpful. And that's where Dimension can play into this because it does have that reach back on small crabgrass. In terms of perennial and annuals, in talking with all sorts of folks in the industry uh, this year and, and last year especially, there are more and more weeds that seem to be making that switch from an annual to, to a perennial. Have you seen crabgrass become more of a perennial? I know you mentioned that it's already a perennial in certain spots, but have you seen that perennial spread into other parts of the country? Maybe it's, it's a wider footprint now? Well, when we see warmer temperatures in the winter, I think it can, be, it can act as a perennial over a wider area. If, uh, for example, we know in South Texas, where I grew up, it's basically year-round down there or South Florida. But say uh, in a warm year, it might even be somewhat perennial in somewhere like San Antonio, especially within the city limit where the uh, concrete and asphalt is acting as a heat source and keeping the ground warmer. Golf courses could see it up around the clubhouse acting more as a perennial next to the sidewalks or next to the building because it's staying warmer in those in those areas. And really, the, the first and, and a lot of times only frost is really the key in laying down that first treatment and laying down the pre-emerge. It definitely can be in the southern areas. As you move north, I think, and into our market area, North Texas, and on further north into Kansas, Nebraska, and all points north, I think it's, you know, you'll wait until later in the winter to make that application. You just want to make sure you're getting that application out before temperatures get above 55 degrees soil temperatures. That way you're getting the pre-emerge activity. If you do have crabgrass coming up though again consider a product like dimension that has post-emerge activity to help you get the reach back on those emerged crabgrass i'm sure there's not a single hard and fast rule just because turf is so different in, in different regions but you said 55 degrees as a soil temp is that as close as you would get to a hard and fast a single digit to really look for 55 degrees you know, you'll hear occasionally people say uh, 50 degrees. You'll sometimes hear people say it's 60 degrees. I think 55 is the most agreed upon. Now, of course, it also depends a little bit. Do you have other weeds that you're going to be focusing on? For example, prostrate spurge can be a problem in turf. And that weed actually comes up at 50 degrees or less. And so if, if that's a weed that's a problem for you, you want to get your dimension out a little bit earlier to make sure you're getting the, the prostrate knotweed and the crabgrass both. If you have weeds that come up later, for example, like goosegrass, then the, then the option there might be to do uh, multiple applications, make a treatment early in, in your crabgrass and, and prostrate knotweed timing, and then come back a little bit later to add on to that to help you get the best control you can on goosegrass as well. It starts emerging at 60 to 65 degrees. In your decades and decades of experience, are there any, maybe a handful of other things that, that really do tend to help? Those are, those are some great, great ground rules and, and 
basics there, but is there anything else that really helps? Sure. Anything you can do to encourage thick, healthy turf is going to help. A lot of weeds are, are opportunistic, especially crabgrass. That's a weed that's going to um, take advantage of blank spots in your turf or just weak turf to begin with. And it's going to emerge and, and come up and, and fill those gaps and make it hard for the turf to fill back in. So um, just encouraging thick, lush growth, things like a strong fertility program, also not mowing uh, too short or scalping. And um, those are, are practices that can help you. Raymond, I'm curious, how has crabgrass treatment evolved in recent years, would you say? Well, I think one of the things that we've looked at is more of what we can do to get some early post control because we are seeing crabgrass emerging over an extended window and so it makes it hard to perfectly time your application and golf course superintendents have a particularly tough time scheduling sometimes you know they may have to schedule a custom applicator and, and work around their schedule they may have to schedule with the uh, clubhouse to time it around tournaments so they may be pushed a little late or pushed a little early on their application. And that can result in the product not being put out at the perfect time. So then they have uh, crabgrass that's escaped either by coming up ahead of the application or coming up at the tail end of the, uh, of the residual from that application. And so you have crabgrass escapes. What are you going to do with those? Well, post-emergent control is helpful. And especially in areas where you're uh, going to treat multiple times with a pre-emerge anyway, using a pre-emerge that has like dimension is a strong choice. What we discovered, largely because of the help of our applicators and customers telling us about it, is that dimension, we've always known it controlled crabgrass up to the fifth leaf stage, but superintendents and other applicators were telling us, hey, we're seeing control of larger crabgrass. Well, we didn't discount that. We went and researched it, in fact, and said, was this true? And what we found is we do get control of larger crabgrass, especially if we add a non-ionic surfactant. Um, so using the high rate in the south, which is two pints per acre of dimension, mixing it with a non-ionic surfactant, we can control crabgrass up to the fifth tiller, not just the fifth leaf. And that gives us an extended window of control. Is that a fairly recent evolution within the last five or 10 years? It seems pretty advanced. It is pretty recent. I mean, really, a lot of the data, even data from um, uh, my home university, Texas A&M, showed this. There was, and it's really about 10 years old, some of that data that we first started talking about and i still use some of those slides from the first times we talked about it but we continue to see it across the south in the in the warm season turf areas that later post-emerge control uh, can be achieved with the high rates and a non-ionic surfactant is there any other new research or treatment evolution that turf pros should know about anything that's come out recently i think the research on a lot of our new products products like crew which is a combination of dimension and gallery and research on game on which is our new post-emerge broadleaf herbicide that has the new active rlx 
are very exciting. But the most exciting of our new products to me for the golf course superintendent is probably Native Clean. A Native Clean contains another new active to the turf business called Amino Pure Lead. And it's combined with 2,4-D amine. The great thing about this is it can be used in native areas. That's its target spot is to be used in native areas and has great post-emerge control of, of 100 plus broadleaf weeds. But it also gives you some control pre-emergently. And we've actually seen results where we were still getting control a year after treatment. Okay. Um, and that's a spot on the course where You've got this native area and you don't really want to spend a tremendous amount of time on it. So this can free up your time and allow you to focus on other activities or maybe get home to your own activities a little earlier and not have to focus on that native area as much. In terms of getting home to your own activities, I have to ask Raymond because I have it. I'm sure everybody does. What do you do when crabgrass pops up in your yard? Well, the first thing I like to do is get a, a solid pre-emerge program out early. Okay. Uh, so I do start my program with dimension. And if I happen to miss my window, I still come in with dimension on that area because I do have that reach back. If I have broadleaf weeds up at the time, another product that can be really handy to add is add Defender to that dimension treatment for um, early season broadleaf weed control. Defender's uh, sometimes been referred to as a cool season herbicide, but it's actually really that it, it's not just that it works in cold weather. It works when other herbicides won't work in cold weather. It will work fine in warm weather as well, but it, it will work when other herbicides tend to fail when it's cold. I shouldn't be surprised, but I love that you basically take whatever you've learned professionally and you just apply it to your own yard personally it, it makes all the sense in the world it tends to be the way things go i guess <laughs> is you use what you're comfortable with yes. and i hope i in some ways am able to help other people become comfortable with our products so that they're uh they're comfortable using them and and uh in their programs before i let you go raymond crabgrass it's such a basic weed, seemingly basic weed, I imagine for a lot of folks, it's easy to overlook or just not even give a thought to. What else should turf pros know about crabgrass if they, if they take away one or two things from our conversation? I think it's probably important to know that there's multiple types of crabgrass out there. And some crabgrasses uh, can be a little more difficult to control, but the basics are the same across those. Getting your pre-emerge out uh, early, important. Following up if you need to with some post-emerge products. That's uh, another critical aspect. Try not to let the crabgrass get out of control because once it's out of control, you're going you're gonna to have a hard time getting it back in control. I remember early in my uh, weed control education at college, I read a, an article or something that said, there's a 40-year supply of weed seed in every acre of soil. And uh, I'm, I'm a young guy starting out. I said, well, that seems like a career to me. <laughs> so well, as I, And you're still going. As I, as I get to 40 years in the chemical business, I guess it's all going to disappear at my 40th year. And I don't know what the rest of y'all are going to do. But... Uh, <laughs> 
but I I think it's reestablishing each year, and that's why I say don't don't help it out and let it establish that seed bank for another forty years if you can help. Amazing. Maybe you pick the perfect forty-year window, Raymond. <laughs> and if I can, uh, if it's going to disappear when I retire, there might be a lot of people looking for my retirement. Raymond, before I let you go, is there anywhere folks can find you, whether that's email, social media, anywhere you are online? Sure. I have a Twitter account. It's Ray Miller Four. A lot of what I post, I use that strictly as a uh, business account. I don't post any uh, personal stuff on Twitter, and I don't post any political stuff. So you can follow me there and uh, not have to worry. No Aggies? Um, I might like something from the Aggies, but I don't post anything from the Aggies. Fair enough. <laughs> unless, it's, unless it's weed research, and then I'll post it. And I post things from Arkansas and other universities i recently liked and uh reposted a, a post from mike richardson in arkansas so texas a&m research but not texas a&m football well especially this year that's a brutal subject <laughs> oh raymond this was a blast thank you so much uh, thank you i appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and um, share some thoughts on crabgrass and other key weeds for the golf course my thanks again to Raymond Miller, Territory Manager for Corteva AgriScience, for taking some time to talk about crabgrass. And my thanks to all of you for listening to Talking Turf Weeds and all the podcasts here on the Superintendent Radio Network. Beyond the Page, Greens with Envy, Off the Course, and Tartan Talks drop on Tuesdays. Real Turf Techs with Trent Manning drops on the third Wednesday of every month. And Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drops on the first Thursday of every month. Thanks, too, to Corteva AgriScience for sponsoring this first season of Talkin' Turf Weeds, because your turf matters, and Corteva AgriScience is here to help you defend it. With a full spectrum of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides developed to keep your course in check, they'll help you spend less time battling troublesome turf challenges and more time building a picture-perfect experience for your members. For everybody here at Golf Course Industry and the Superintendent Radio Network, I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for listening.